and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. Each podcast, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Hello, Matthew. Hi, Alison. Looking forward to a great Take 10 today. Absolutely. Let's get cracking. Matthew, I noticed in the AFR the other day an article on the RBA and its concurrent negotiations in relation to staff on pay and conditions. Now, I know we talk about the RBA a bit. This is a bit of a different lens on the RBA, though, so I'm not going to go near the inflation and the interest rates, but perhaps a little bit about working from home and also potentially what that means for the office and the office sector. Obviously, COVID has been a big disruptor and the, and the trend working from home. And I think you've been doing a bit of research into that space. Be interested to understand what does your research say about the current state of working from home, particularly in Australia? Well, just in terms of where we are at the moment, and, and you're absolutely right, you know, the big disruptor for office has been the working from home. It's sort of got similarities in terms of its impact as the you know, online penetration has had in in the retail sector. It's sort of like the analogue of that for the office sector. Now, if you look, if you go back to mid-2021, at the height of the pandemic, the Sydney occupancy rate fell to just 7% of its pre-COVID rates, with Melbourne not too far ahead of that at 12% occupancy relative to COVID. So that was still in the period of lockdowns. And here in Brisbane, though, where we avoided lockdowns, we maintained a occupancy rate of about 50% over that COVID period from mid-2020 to mid-2022. Now, in what is now the post-COVID period, you might have expected that to sort of rebound and we're back to those pre-COVID occupancy levels. But In fact, that's what we're not seeing. So, for example, in Sydney, the occupancy rate is still 20% below those pre-COVID levels. Brisbane's about 30% below. And Melbourne, you know, where they had the severest and lengthiest and most draconian lockdowns, the rate is still, the occupancy rate is still about 40%. 40% lower than the uh, pre-COVID levels. It really hasn't recovered yet. And you can feel it when you, you get the opportunity to travel these days. It, it is definitely quieter in those cities. That's right. And you know, uh, and, and it really plays out to the severity of the lockdowns. And it's affecting not only, you know, office occupancy rates in CB, in the CBD area, you know, and the, the effect of work from home in terms of, um, you know, suppressing to some extent uh, rents and whatnot in the, in the uh, CBD. It's also impacting overall uh, economic activity in the CBD. So without those people coming in to the, to the office, you're also seeing the retail sector in the CBD suffer as well. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the restaurants and so on would be definitely suffering from a, a, a fewer number of lunches and certainly Friday afternoon drinks, for example, that used to be pretty commonplace. <laughs> yes, that's right. You're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where I'm chatting to Dr. Matthew Peter on all things economics and markets. So clearly, Matthew, um, the slow rebound is really hitting the office sector. But one would have thought potentially partially offsetting that is the rebound in economic activity, you know, and that surge in employment we've really seen, which has been quite, quite remarkable. And potentially even more nuanced than that, the white collar employment associated with the services sector, which usually sees really strong demand for office floor space. Have those two factors offset the working from home trend or perhaps not from what you were saying just before? Yeah, well, you point out some interesting facts there. You know, employment now, we've got almost a million people more in employment than pre-COVID. And a lot of that additional employments in white collar, those businesses in white collar tend to 
occupy CBD office space. So that alone you'd expect to have driven demand for um, office up and vacancy rates down, but it hasn't. So one would have to argue to date the work from home factor is winning out. And this shows up very starkly in those uh, vacancy rates where both Melbourne and Sydney rates have climbed from historically low vacancy rates of about 4% pre-COVID to historically high vacancy rates now of 15% or more. In fact, they've caught up and exceeded Brisbane. So here in Brisbane, we typically had a relatively high vacancy rate, both historically and pre-COVID, of around about 12%. And we had a little spike up to about 14% during COVID. But we're back down to that pre-COVID vacancy rate of 12%. That's that's remarkable because it's lower than where the vacancy rates are in Sydney and Melbourne at the moment. So it looks like work from home is winning now. Well, it's interesting. And there's probably a dynamic there as well of flexible work in the sense that, you know, I do know of quite a few corporates who've got offices or, or people working from Brisbane, for example, that with corporates that traditionally would have been in Sydney or Melbourne. So that flexibility is now probably having an impact as well and, and being yep. a bit of a boost for Brisbane. So Matthew, how does this all pan out, especially given we're facing a slowdown in economic growth and probably a slowdown in employment? Yeah, well, I think the sector's, um, you know, it's facing a dis- difficult environment. The slowdown in growth is a negative, obviously. So a lot depends on whether those occupancy rates pick up. In other words, whether the work from home, those levels of work from home start to pick up. Here, the anecdotal evidence seems to suggest that at least that increase in work from home that we had over COVID, some of it will stick. But the interesting thing there is it's so, when we begin to it, it's very hard to forecast where, you know, the work from home level like how how many of us, how much time we'll be working from home, where that'll actually settle going forward. For example, unlike the RBA, who are refusing to uh, mandate days at home, many businesses are, in fact, doing that. They're mandating a fixed number of days required of their workers to be in the office and, and allowing, therefore, a certain number of days to be worked at home, while others like us at QIC, for example, are working on a more trust-based model and we're leaving it up to individual teams and their managers to work out the appropriate mix of office and work from home. So until that sort of settles down, it'll be very hard for us to know where the, the final you know, work from home levels settles. Another twist, again, anecdotally, is that large corporations like banks seem to have the most difficult getting workers to return to the office, particularly those workers that are engaged in process-driven types of occupation. These workers who don't have a significant amount of their job taken up in interacting with colleagues, you know, they're more sort of, as I said, process-driven. What they're able to do from working from home is avoid the time and cost of lengthy commutes, especially if you're down in Melbourne and Sydney. And they don't really miss that interaction with the colleagues that much. The people in sort of jobs like yours and mine that relies more on collaboration would, would suffer from. So they don't have a strong incentive to give up their work from home. In contrast, small and medium-sized businesses appear to be back to similar occupancy rates uh, that they experienced pre-COVID compared to, say, the banks and other large corporations. And of course, you know, the CBD office demand is dominated by those large corporations. And so the CBD office sector is the one that appears to be suffering the most from this work from home effect. So what's the bottom line then when we think about that? Because I agree it's going to take a bit of time to settle, but I think we can probably also agree it's going to be here to stay at least in a good portion for a, a, a number of corporates. So 
What does that mean for, for, for office and for, for valuations? You know, as we were saying earlier, Alison, the, the problem facing the sector is it's got a tricky environment that it's entering into. It's facing a slowdown in economic growth, which is typically a, a negative for the office sector, when at the same time, the underlying fundamentals for the office sector, including elevated vacancy rates, are already high incentive rates on rents to get tenants into the office and an elevated cost of capital. All those underlying fundamentals are weak. So it looks to us that prime CBD office markets of, say, Melbourne and Sydney, those vacancy rates don't look like they'll return to pre-code levels in the foreseeable future. On the other hand, Brisbane is bucking that trend somewhat with vacancy rates already having fallen back to their pre-COVID levels, as I mentioned. But still, those vacancy rates, even in Brisbane, are elevated. So when we weigh it all up, Alison, looking forward, our view remains uh, there's ongoing downside devaluations in CBD office markets of somewhere between 5 to 10% in uh, Melbourne and Brisbane, which would deliver a peak to trough fall given where valuations have already fallen, uh, mm. a peak to trough fall of between 15 to 20% for Melbourne and Sydney. But Brisbane looking a little bit healthier given that it's got greater support in terms of, you know, the work from home phenomena, but also in it, in it being able to track, you know, workers and jobs, you know, in the in the, in the face of really strong economic growth up here and the prospect of of ongoing infrastructure spend in preparation for the Olympics, there we've got less than a ten percent fall priced in for Brisbane. Yeah, and I'm sure it's got a little bit to do with the dynamics of the cities. I mean, I think look at the international experience, and I'd be really interested to get your comments there as well. But you know, some cities are seemingly doing a lot better than others, and I guess that's to do with lifestyles. People can have that flexibility. Talking about that international market, so any any bright spots there that you can take us through? Well, Alison, current market expectations are most likely over-pessimistic, and we've seen that over-pessimism uh, played out overseas. Uh, we saw office assets oversold in locations like New York City, for example. Now, what this did um, overseas is create attractive buying opportunities for investors, and we're, we're also seeing that overseas office sector as a place of intense interest amongst uh, institutional investors, and so that might play out here in Australia as well. Brisbane is another bright spot. It's experienced quite strong rent growth over the past year, and as, as I've mentioned, even though vacancy rates are, are, are elevated, they aren't elevated relative to pre-COVID levels. And, and as I said, they we have seen them fall in. We expect to see Brisbane uh, vacancy rates to continue to decline from here. Well, and that makes sense, Matthew. And I think that's the, you know, while we've had some terrific returns from property and over a long term, it's been a very, you know, obviously a strong returning asset class for institutional investors. You know, all markets from time to time cycle. And, you know, sometimes these types of situations provide an opportunity for investors who uh, can opportunistically go in and, and pick up you know strong properties. Matthew, yep. thank you for joining me today and thanks for our listeners for taking tent.